You're listening to Grindhouse Courthouse. We put movies on trial to determine whether or not a film has committed too many movie misdemeanors to be considered viewable. Please rise for the Honorable Judge this episode. Nailed it. Beautiful. Love it. Here we go. Hello and welcome to the last Mission Impossible episode we will ever do. Mission Impossible 3. To my virtual left is the defense, consisting of a lead defenseman and an assistant public defender, Adam and Dave. By the end of the episode, you will know who is the lead and who is the assistant. (laughs) To my virtual right is the prosecution, Dylan and Matt. Two beautiful, attractive, well-intentioned, honest, hardworking, sexy, magnanimous people doing important work here today. (laughs) Mission Impossible 3 was directed in 2006 by noted amateur storyteller J.J. Abrams. (laughs) This sequel was made a full six years after the Mission Impossible 2 debacle and sees Tom Cruise return as Ethan Hunt. I can only assume that his character is radically different in this incarnation since Mission Impossible 1 Ethan Hunt was a CIA brand spy and Mission Impossible 2 Ethan Hunt was some kind of rock climbing super assassin, but I'm sure this will be covered later on. Uh, Mission Impossible 3 was produced on a budget of $150 million and had a box office return of $400 million, which is the technical hallmark of any successful, enjoyable, well-crafted <laughs> film that doesn't have to rely on cheap tricks to tell its story. The court will now hear the defense's opening statement. Can I object to that whole statement? <laughs> you can do whatever you want, but it's on the record. All right. <laughs> that was great. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, have to, I have to get into the mindset now too. <laughs> yeah, I know. You gotta, you gotta like, you gotta psych yourself up. You can't just, Jesus. You can't just walk in. Your here. honor. Uh, is there any chance there are, they're both assistant defendant defenders? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is the appearance right now, but I do believe that one will emerge as the dominant defense person. Yeah. We're just two interns that showed Surprisingly, up. Surprisingly, <laughs> it'll be me somehow. Yeah, I hope you take the lead. Okay, I'm focused. Judge, much like a proud parent watching their child walk across the stage of graduation, Dave and I stand before you overjoyed and teary-eyed for Mission Impossible 3. As we watched over the years, we saw Mission Impossible 1 come into this world and set the standard for what a spy movie should be. Sophisticated, story-driven, and full of action. We then watched the teen angst years of Mission Impossible 2 where loud music, fast cars, explosions, and womanizing was the driving factor behind the series. But at last, we are here. We see Mission Impossible 3 stand on its own, mature, confident, and a technical masterpiece ready to take on the world and we cannot be prouder thank you beautiful one tear one single tear has rolled down my face the court will not recognize the tear nor the the statements Uh, the court will now hear the prosecution's opening statement you'll have to recognize the flood of tears from the defense after they get crushed by our prosecution of this one this movie oh god here we go again this movie thinks so little of its audience it's basically essentially identical to all the other crappy stupid mission impossible movies but just like 30 percent even lazier tom cruise continues to be this bizarre dead-eyed humanoid cyborg of a creature acting like a human being at least i mean at least they cut the cut his hair in this one if that counts for anything but 
this thing is just more of the same absurd, vacuous spy nonsense. Once again, we've got rogue double-crossing agents, agents who would never have double-crossed you if you hadn't trained them to do all this stuff in the first place. Uh, we've got dumb mask stuff, because we guess we have to have that in one, every one of these Mission Impossible movies. We've got Tom Cruise hanging by cables. Again. Remember that scene from the first one that everyone liked? Well, we're doing it again. <laughs> every second scene of this stupid thing, we're violating the laws of physics. And it's just tired and monotonous, and I just can't, I can't handle it anymore. Fuck this movie. Powerful words. I couldn't put it better myself. Truly powerful. I feel like he's more mad at Tom Cruise than the movie. I feel your, your anger is driven towards him specifically. What's the difference? Where does Mission, Mission Impossible end and Tom Cruise begin? It's the uh, same thing. Motorbike. It's the same thing with a motorbike. <laughs> That's very true. They are one together. They are locked. <laughs> yeah. These are Tom Cruise. The real, the real question is where does Tom Cruise end and Lord Zedu begin? But we'll <laughs> have to figure out question. that later. We need to talk about volcanoes and souls right now for the next 40 minutes. Now, on that note, it would please the court to have the defense present their first scene. All right, I'll take it over. So the first scene is... Well, that's the prosecution, but I mean, you know, that's, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, you know, Your Honor, the, the judge said, position is over. really more of a formality. Okay, I will allow you to take it over. There, much better. Okay. Please and proceed. as the as the litigant in control, I pass to the defense to introduce the first scene. <laughs> what was Excellent. that? Thank you. I, I will allow it. I really want power move. Going to go with this though. Power move. <laughs> power move. Yeah, I'm shaking. I'm shaking right oh. now. We'll take this responsibility. We'll open up. We'll talk about the first scene, won't we, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> Any moment now. Okay. So right off the bat, with Mission Impossible Three, you are thrown into the unknown. We are put into a scenario where Tom Cruise's character, Ethan Hunt, is tied up in a chair and we have a villain standing across from him with a gun to a woman's head. We don't know what's going on. We don't know the context, but the scene looks beautiful. We got high saturation. We've got lens flares. We got the J.J. Abrams style all over this scene. Now, we're, as, we're, as the scene progresses, we find out that Ethan Hunt was supposed to deliver something to this villain. And this villain hasn't received it yet. And he's about to shoot his fiance slash wife and starts the countdown. Within this countdown, we see Ethan Hunt, Tom Cruise's character, go through a range of emotions. We get, oh, I had this. We get confusion, shock, denial, pain, guilt, anger, and bargaining all within the first 10 minutes. This is just clearly showing how great of an actor Tom Cruise is. He has such an amazing range that it just opens this movie and wants you wanting more, basically. You have so many questions coming at you. You don't know what the setup is. You don't know what's going on. And again, you're seeing Ethan Hunt in a completely new, new area, new context that we've never seen him in before with these previous Mission Impossible. So right off the bat, you're hooked. Is that really the start of the movie, though? Yeah. Because <laughs> I would argue that the, the real... Because we already know Mission Impossible. We know what's going like, what's coming. But this just throws you right back into it so quick. There's no, there's no uh, waiting around. Gets you right into the movie. And that's what you need. The real start of this movie, I would argue, is... I'm going to hurt her. I'm going to hurt her really bad. What? I can't hear you from, uh, from way over there. I'm going to hurt her. I'm going to hurt her really bad. <laughs> 
Is that really the start of this movie, though? Because I would argue that the real start of this is smarmy, weird Tom Cruise hosting a dinner party with some floozy we've never seen before. <laughs> That's the real right. start of this movie. Okay, yeah. yeah. The scene, the scene yeah. you... No, it's not the recap. The first scene that you're ta talking about with Philip Seymour Hoffman yep. is like this tense standoff with Tom Cruise and Hoffman and this other girl. Yep. yep. But it's essentially just a a scene that we're going to get to 90 minutes later in the movie. Yep. It's like, it's like an advertisement for the movie that I'm already watching. That's telling me, please, please don't walk out of the theater. Don't turn this off. I swear <laughs> this is going to get good eventually. And it's only it's there. Throwing it, it's just throwing the bait out for you say, Hey, oh, how do you get to this position? How do we get here? Yeah. They go. Yeah. I'm why I know. Is there a freeze frame of Tom Cruise's face? And then it's like a record scratch sound. And he says, how did I end up in this situation? <laughs> I and wish. then you have to watch the rest of the movie to find out. Is that what happens? Stay that tuned. That happened? The film? I wish that would have happened. That would have made it. Oh, that would have been beautiful. <laughs> Ron Howard does commentary the entire film. <laughs> as, I knew it. As Ethan Hunt's uh, voice in his head. <laughs> By the way, we should point out the, the real start of the movie is the, is the little party. But right away, we should start getting warning signs. So first off, he's gotten rid of the other girl that was like the love of his life in the last one. Yeah. He uses women, first thing first. Mm -hmm. Also, he's like probably about 40 at this point. He has, not a word of a lie, like 50 friends over at his stupid little house party, which is way too many friends for a 40-year-old man to have. Like, it's already unnatural. Like, why do you have all these friends? This isn't... You should have like three friends... One from childhood, one from college, and like one dude who you like drink beer with or something like that. <laughs> but That's don't know his name. Normal. <laughs> yeah. All I'm getting right now is um, uh, jealousy from Dylan. He's just jealous of how successful Tom Cruise is with his friends. I do have to sweet house party. Yeah, I do have to admit that this is the most unrealistic part of the movie of a 40, 40 year old person having this many friends. But we understand that it is due to them finally getting engaged. So this is an engagement party. It's her family, her friends, coworkers, etc. Uh, but yes, we're, we're dropped into a, a different scenario that we haven't seen Ethan Hunt in. He's at a house party. He's in the suburbs. He's around common folk. We've never seen him in this scenario before. It's always top-notch action, climbing mountains, doing somersault kicks, whatever it may be. But now we're seeing him as just a regular Joe with a regular haircut. So we're, we're introduced to new questions or more questions right off the bat. It's pulling the audience in, trying to understand what is going on to Ethan Hunt's character. Because, yeah, probably six years has passed between Mission Impossible 2 uh, long hair Ethan Hunt, always doing extreme stunts, to now doing a desk job or pretending to do a desk job. And he's not a field officer anymore. He's training IMF agents. Uh, so yeah, again, I think this is just exposing his character. You're, you're seeing a different element that you wouldn't have seen in the previous movies, and they're diving into it. And yeah, I think they did an amazing job with it. Like, would you say he's being filled out as a full character then? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, you're getting a proper character arc over these three movies. You're, you're expanding him. You're, you're seeing the ins and outs. What drives him? What moves him? Revealing him as... An arc implies like a beginning, a middle, and an end. There's like eight movies after this one. So <laughs> We're not, is like, this, is, this is it. And Mission Impossible 3 is the end point. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't make it anymore. He grows his hair out again in the next <laughs> one. <laughs> We're not talking about the next one. We're only talking about Mission Impossible 3 and the two before it. 
That's our world of Mission Impossible. Do they bring right the now. motorbike back in six or seven? Your Honor, I demand, I demand that the prosecution recognizes the existence of Mission Impossible Nine. The court will wait for an answer. I then needs to be stricken from the we record. Can't, we the can't, court will not strike this from the record. Judge, Your Honor, can we the... please waterboard the, the defense <laughs> to get the truth that we need? We're, we are this close to waterboarding the defense. Judge, we set clear rules before we started recording, before we started doing the series, that we would only acknowledge the movies that we're up to. So we can only acknowledge MI1, 2, and 3. They have nothing against this scene. They have, they have nothing. That's why they're, they're reaching outside. I, they, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. They're, they're reaching okay, yeah. for straws. They have nothing right now. Like, oh, Hold no, on. Ethan's a full character. I don't know what to do. I better... I better shit on his later movies because I can't shit on this one. It's He's too f- good. Yeah. What, Point what, about, what about this weird sociopath delivering anecdotes that he's clearly practiced in front of a mirror like 50 times before at a house party? He's like, an Isabel actor. Out who, also, also, who doesn't do that? Who didn't go over their notes today going like, I got to nail this opening or else <laughs> they're going to kick me off the team. This is yeah, but profession. he does that to talk to people at a party. <laughs> you know, Hi, how's it going? It was Lake Winnetonka. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe Ethan Hunt has crippling uh, social anxiety and he just can't be around people. So he needs to practice those. He needs to get some lines down, written out, and uh, yeah, go over them so he feels comfortable when he's in this scenario. You know and what's really what, funny about this? Everyone do their best Ethan Hunt at a party take. <laughs> okay, ready, set, hi, I'm Ethan Hunt. Okay, Adam, your turn. <laughs> Try the same line? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, oh, yeah, you're at a party. <laughs> ha ha! I'm Ethan Hunt. Ha! Oh, <laughs> uh, that's that's pretty human. Yeah. That's pretty natural. What the hell? <laughs> that's that's also my Tom Cruise impression because he always laughs after he says something. Yeah, but right. this is Ethan Hunt. It's not Tom Cruise. Okay. Minus okay. one point to the defense. So so far we've had two starts to the movie. We've had the movie at the end, and then we've had a house party. Uh, what comes after that? Wait before before we get there, I, I have I have a question before because we, we've already introduced the. You get no Beyonce questions. Here. I have Only a question for for you, love Doctor Dave. What? Take us take us to <laughs> take us to the tunnel of love, love tunnel of love. And tell us <laughs> what is love. Tunnel, love tunnel, tunnel, love, love tunnel. What what happened to the girl from the last movie? She's conspicuously absent from this thing and she's replaced with some other woman we've never seen before that was just and a hot di- flick that was just a hot dip in the the summer heat they risked that's all tell that us was. more about these hot dips in summer heat <laughs> hot dip in summer heat. hot dip <laughs> i think that's an expression tell us tell us more about the hot she was dips. that was just a fling tell us all that Dave, was. tell us how you dip women tell us how you dip them upside down and backward Oh my god. Oh my god. You heard it you heard it here first. first. Love doctor. So love doctor, it's okay to use women and then throw them aside, right? Like women, they will come and they will go. She uses him just as much. Don't don't jump ahead there. Do we have evidence that he ever cured her of that fatal disease that she was injected with? Oh yeah. Or did he just you know. No, yeah, yeah. Bing he Rames, gave her an extra six weeks. <laughs> Bing Rames uh, gave her the shot, and then the next scene is them meeting in a park and like kissing next to the Sydney Opera House. So she's could fine. she have been reinfected at that point? I don't know. We don't know how Chimera works, so maybe, possibly, maybe, maybe it's a tragic loss. Maybe that's that's what's happening here. We have Ethan Hunt moving on from his dead partner. You want to bring up that trauma? Thanks a lot, guys. 
We're seeing a grown man move on with his life and take the next step. That's what I want to see at a movie. I don't want to see the same hits over and over again. I want to see a character develop. And that's what we get. And now, after the house party scene, we get, uh, what's his name? Billy Crud- Crudup? Crudup? Sure. What's his name? Yeah. Billy. Yeah. That, you made that word up. That's his the name. court will recognize that defense has said that they do not want to see the same things in a movie over and over again. <laughs> On the record. We just like, we got to make sure that wow. that point is established. Yeah, okay, I may have shot myself I, I was gonna, with that one. But, uh... I'm going to nail their balls to a board for that one. Because the I, next setup is... Oh my god, I think an IMF agent has been captured and betrayed. Who is the possible culprit? And the and guess who it is? It's another IMF agent. We'll work around this. Mm-hmm. But we have She <laughs> wasn't betrayed by an IMF agent though. She was put under cover in that organization, wasn't she? That had nothing to do with backstabbing. The takeaway that I'm getting from here is that it's so unimportant you don't remember the real details. No, no it's been like sure. it's been like four months since I watched this movie, so I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, we we took way too long of a break. I I will step aside, but I'm pretty sure she wasn't betrayed. She, she was put in undercover in the organization. I will step aside from my judgely roles very briefly to establish that yes, she was placed there as a mole to recover information. She was not a traitor. Yes, but she right. learned no, too no, much. No, no, she wasn't the traitor. She was betrayed. Yeah, yeah. Billy, she was betrayed yes. by an IMF. Yeah, that's yeah, what Dylan's Billy getting. Billy Crudup is the mole. It is Billy but Crudup. Okay. That so, that sorry, part. spoilers. Billy Crudup is the mole. I think we jumped ahead just a little bit, but... <laughs> Yeah, I can't believe we spoiled this movie from 15 years ago that has <laughs> that people seven care more about. entries into That people beside us have gone back to actually watch in the last 10 years. So, so beyond that, it's a pretty awesome scene where uh, Vic controls a bunch of sentries, shoots a bunch of people to do some uh, action scenes. Brings you right back into the Where action. are we in the story? Yeah, where are we going? To- when he goes, <laughs> where he's in the, where, where he's he's the when he's rescuing so, her. Yeah, so his, so this is okay. the agent is is ca- played by Carrie Russell, Felicity. Yeah. And she gets found out or or I don't know, betrayed by some uh-huh. other rogue agent or whatever. She's captured. And then uh, presumably by Philip Seymour Hoffman's uh gang or whatever it is. His and goons. they take him they take his goons and they take her to an abandoned warehouse, which is like come on, real original guys. Really? <laughs> And actually, this is the first time we get this type of scenario in Mission Impossible, so it is brand new. Oh, none of the other ones are like this. We've never seen somebody being holed up in a not in Mission warehouse Impossible. in anything before. Not in Mission Impossible, so yeah, fresh. <laughs> I mean, the bar, the, the bar for Mission Impossible to do something new hey, is. So I'm low just saying the facts here, Matt. <laughs> but but go, go brand go new for Mission Impossible. Dave <laughs> is a Mission Impossible completionist, wants those warehouse scenes. Wants them, needs them. <laughs> but okay. I, I would like Matt to continue on because this this scene is actually very well done. So continue on with explaining it and setting it up. Okay. Okay. So uh, this... I will allow you to continue on and set it up. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Judge. You. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor. So essentially, the Tom Cruise assembles a crack team of espionage spy individuals, and with you know with Ving Rhames. What is what is Ving Rhames' character's name? It doesn't matter. Luther. Yeah. I think they call him Specs. Luther Vandross. Oh. Uh, Luther Vandross? <laughs> so anyway, they, they get in there, and then Tom Cruise is doing his spy stuff, and they're shooting it up. And he gets to Carrie Russell, and she's been tortured. She's sitting in a chair. She can barely move. And then he injects her with some adrenaline, which is like movie lingo for 
hey, you don't have to act like you're hurt for the rest of this scene anymore. So here, <laughs> take this. And then they escape and they're they're escaping into helicopter. There's a bunch of explosions. They're in a, a a wind farm for some reason. It's a helicopter chasing them. And God, what are there lens flares? Oh, so many. That's like from the top of the from the top of this episode, the defense said lens flares is his first line of defense for how why this movie is. <laughs> that wasn't defense. I was saying that's JJ Abrams style and it plays out through this, but he does it in a way that it, it I don't know, it adds to the movie. It has a unique style. This movie stands out based on JJ Abrams style. Like again, he has higher saturation, his blues and oranges pop out a lot more, colors are a lot brighter. So it, it's very different in comparison. Everything's named Kelvin. <laughs> it's very different than what we've seen in the previous movies. But what, what I would like to say, and I would like to perform a rebuttal to Matt's statement, is that he's underplaying all the action in this scenario. We have not just them going in guns blazing like they previously would have done with Mission Impossible 1 and 2. No, we have a team coming together. We get to see the setup of how... Uh, hold on, hold on. Okay, guns blazing in Mission Impossible 1? Maybe, oh, when sorry. did they go in guns blazing? <laughs> maybe, maybe not Mission Impossible 1, but Mission Impossible 2. The court will recognize right. that guns blazing was the only mode in Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> good, yes. good. Well, we the mission by sneaking Guns in, blazing though. and doves flying. That's how we <laughs> fucking roll, boys. <laughs> oh, uh... <laughs> But this time we see more of a tactical approach, right? It, this movie is more grounded and realistic. And I'm putting realistic in quotations just because there is some stretch with this. But it again, it looks like they're approaching this mission, this attraction of getting Carrie Russell in a proper manner rather than just winging it. So you have Luther setting up the sentry guns and he's blowing out the bottom floor. So it's attracting all the uh, villains goons all down there while tom cruise actually goes in to extract carrie russell yes he gives her adrenaline yes it gets her going i'm completely fine with this but it also shows how they approach a scene where tom cruise goes in with an assault rifle and he's he's actually aiming he's not just firing at everything uh them escaping is pretty well done too because it, this, this will lead up into another scene, but I like to think when Tom Cruise and Carrie Russell, they're leaving the third floor, whatever floor it is, getting onto the truck to evacuate out of there. I like to think that Tom Cruise is still doing those calculations in his head where he's just like, okay, how far is it? Can I make this? What speed gets down before the whole building explodes and then they're out of there? So again, we're seeing a more calculated, sophisticated team this time around. And I appreciate that a lot more this go like i i'm happy that they're paying attention to the details and they're they're trying to make it more grounded yeah so anyway her brain explodes from a fucking <laughs> implant that's been uh, shoved up fucking her nose uh gnarly the court will recognize that that's fucking gnarly it was yeah <laughs> uh, yeah it, it got it got really uh put a little um, bomb in the nose just an old bomb up the nose into the <laughs> frontal cortex there. And uh, yeah, I mean, that was well done. Her eyes went yeah. all messed up and shit. It looked really, totally yeah. gnarly, man. But it's, uh, but it's also a high tension scene, right? So not just in the sense that they're trying to escape, they're fleeing from this helicopter, they're going through the wind farm and there's blades uh, swinging around. But it's high tension in the sense that we later find out that was a trainee. That was the first trainee of Tom Cruise's character. Uh, that actually got permission to go out into the field. And this is her first mission. And he's now witnessed the death of her. So we get more of an impact from the scene. So her, yes, brain exploding, eye twitching, hits hits home a bit harder than what it would have done in previous Mission Impossible movies. 
slight rephrase, fucking gnarly. Dick. Yeah, he in previous previous <laughs> in previous movies he would have felt nothing if someone's brain exploded in front of him. But this one, this one, he built a relationship with her, so it, yeah. it hurt extra bad. Anyway, um, I think the wind farm had something to do with her brain exploding. You know, they've done studies on the effects of uh, mm, low pressure. That's um, very presidential. Yeah. 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 I don't know how. I just know Carrie Russell's brain exploded, and I got the best people looking into it. <laughs> the green energy. Everyone is saying that windmills killed Carrie Russell. Everyone is saying it. <laughs> okay. Um, what else happens in this scene? <laughs> I, anything I, else? Honestly, I think that like summarized the first like thirty minutes to forty minutes of this movie. And it was full of action and full of heartbreak. It was you see you see IMF though if you want to talk yes, about that. Yes, actually yeah, thank you. Didn't... Thank you judge. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. I was actually going to Okay, well gonna... let me let me do let me do a proper introduction. Uh, Adam, that's the most ridiculous <laughs> thing I've ever heard. I would however like to hear a little bit about uh, IMF. Does that show up at all? The the actual organization behind all these catastrophes that they themselves are creating? Thank you, judge. Adam. Open your mouth and tell me about it. <laughs> Thank you, Judge. So one half of IMF is actively trying to disable and uh, counter terrorism. And the other half of IMF is figuring out how to become terrorists and attack the other half. It's, <laughs> it's a perpetual motion machine. It will never cease. It will, it will continue long after the United States has ceased to exist. Yeah. That's what's going on at IMF. It's one dude. It's until the next movie when it's another dude <laughs> takes his place and it's another dude and it's another one. No, actually, I think the next movies are straight up like terrorist organizations. You can't acknowledge. Counter. No, you can't acknowledge the future. Oh, yeah, movies. sorry. Guys, those don't rules. exist, Matt. Okay. Like, what the fuck? Okay, my mistake. The other movies. So 100% of the Mission Impossible movies we've seen so far. <laughs> Not in our strength yet. Yes, that seems accurate. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. so with, with Mission Impossible 3, we finally get introduced to what IMF is. And from the previous movies, it seems just like a small organization. It's only grounded or like the optics, optics is their team and their lead. But now we actually get to see it as a full-on institute where they're teaming up with the CIA and they're teaming up with uh, the FBI or they're li liaisoning back and forth with them. Uh, you also get to see that they have like huge research departments. So this explains where all their tech is coming from, how they're in, uh, intercepting all these missions or evil people around the world. So you get to see a larger organization take effect and you see that it's a lot larger than what it was before. So it has a sense of scale behind it. Yeah, so it's not just a ragtag team of group, like individuals coming together trying to save the world. It's actually a full organization that has a, an approach. They have a system behind this of how to do things. And we get that better with Lawrence Fishburne's character, who's the lead. I, I, I don't know if he's like the president of IMF, but he comes down on them. You basically saying like, you were not guaranteed to go in there. We did not approve of this. You have to go through all You're the- You're a rogue agent. Yeah. You're a rogue agent, Hawk. But that's, a, but that's the thing. We now have- Mayor's someone... gonna have my ass on this one. <laughs> but it's not as bad. I've not been acting bad. ghost protocol. <laughs> it's not, it's the not that bad. The fallout from he... this will be impossible in a mission sense. All right, keep going. <laughs> but it, it's not that bad, right? Like, but it's still, he's still enforcing it saying like, we do have rules. We have protocols that you must follow in order to do these missions and succeed at this because we cannot have a risk such as yourself going into the field and uh, potentially jeopardizing the whole mission because it could cascade downwards and we could 
just be done for because we're dealing with threats that are engaging the whole world. Uh, so there's a lot more, what's the word? Yeah, I would, I would continue saying scale. There's a lot more scale behind IMF that we've never seen before. Uh, and there's a hierarchy too. Yeah, so anyway, Ethan Hawke infiltrates the Vatican and blows up a Lamborghini <laughs> in front of it. <laughs> oh, fucking gnarly. Are we jumping? Oh, the court recognized that sounds fucking gnarly. <laughs> We're jumping into the next scene then. Why not? Take, sure. We got protocol talk. Go ahead. All right, can you sign off on this Lamborghini I'm about to explode? Does it have to be a Lamborghini? Yes. Can't, can't you blow All up right. a Fiat? <laughs> it's got to be a Lamborghini. To justify that scene, though, they did go rogue, so it wasn't on the books. <laughs> so they didn't know they weren't paying for that at that point. But then where did they get the money to do that if they went rogue? I like they to think... It. Yeah, I like to think there's other third-party organizations that IMF is associated with. I want with. facts. I don't want baseless speculation. I want something concrete coming out of your mouth in the next five seconds, or by God, I'm going to turn this car around. <laughs> he also thinks like Tom, uh, he also thinks Ethan Hunt goes like beautiful mind when he's trying to jump like an eight foot gap. He's like, yeah, I got to triangulate the, the quarter, the air currents or no, he's just screaming his head off running, shooting wildly. <laughs> And just slamming his body into the other side of the building. No, there's so much more of a system behind this. God damn it. Hold on. <laughs> Based I on what you think glasses, he's thinking. Glasses are off, Dylan. I'm getting into this one. <laughs> I'm going to fucking fight Hold you. Hold on. Let's slow it down. No. No, let's, as the judge, go. I allow let's, this. Keep it going. Let's Keep go to the Vatican scene. The Vatican your, scene. Your Honor, me, me and the defense are going to have a full-on fist fight right now. <laughs> In my court, that's encouraged. It's allowed. Trial by combat. So, okay. It seems that we need to move on to the next section. Tempers are hot. This movie is igniting our passions. Clearly. Now, tell me about the Vatican. We'll start with Dave. <sighs> <laughs> so angry about everything right now. So we learn more about IMF and... They kind of bridge off, and they're trying to find the person behind who captured Ethan ha uh, Hawks. Ethan, Ethan Hunt. Hunt. Ethan Hunt. It's not Tony Hawk. You're, we're blurring characters again. Don't don't drag don't drag the good name of Ethan Hawk into this. <laughs> Ethan Hunt. Ethan Hunt's uh, trainee. Yeah. Uh, he's trying to find out who was behind killing his uh, student, basically, right? And so they have to kind of go off and infiltrate. Vatican, because that's the only lead they had to find Seymour Hoffman. And this scene is great, because they go from start to finish. This is the full spy getup, right? You got the infiltration, you got the face mask, you blend in, you're seeing through the Vatican, you're taking over the personality, you're stealing the other guy, and you're blowing up a Lamborghini. Like, what more can you ask for in a spy movie? Prosecution, can you ask for anything more in a spy movie? Yeah. We can. What, what? What? I can ask. What? I can. I can ask them to not senselessly destroy. You even get a skanky girl in it. Arc. What more do you want, Matt? A skanky girl in the Vatican? That might be the most unbelievable part of this movie. She's infiltrating. There's some for some reason they're doing this drop in the Vatican because I don't know. Whatever. That's where weapons business deals get done apparently. But so there's the smarmy like soiree thing, and his agent comes in there in the skankiest dress I've ever seen. And I look. I'm. I'm I'm a fan as much as the next guy of a beautiful lady in a lovely dress, right? Right, Dave. Dave knows what I'm talking about. Yep, here. <laughs> the love duck. Yeah, what do you do? How do you dip him again? I don't know what. How do you dip him again? Oh, it's the love doctor. 
but this scene is perfect though for the spy aspect. But, but there's no, there's no way, there's no way that this woman is getting into the Vatican dressed like that. They don't. She just kind of waltzing around in a, like a dress that's barely on. And for some reason, I don't know. I don't know why she's. I don't even know what she's doing there. She's just kind of like skanking around, and that's about okay. it. She's okay. the exit plan. Jesus. For okay. They... <laughs> let's let's break this down. Are you watching the same movie? Yeah, guys. <laughs> I don't think anybody was watching the same movie at this point, or our memory I... is so okay. faulty. <laughs> okay. So what she had given Ethan Hunt was that little tiny microscopic um, coded thing, basically, that contains data. Um, and the data contained is what Philip Seymour Hoffman is trying to get his hands on. And because it's stupid J.J. Abrams, he never actually explains what the hell the MacGuffin is in this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, does anyone remember what it's called, even? The rabbit's, rabbit's foot. Yeah, the rabbit's foot. So he knows about the rabbit's foot, and he knows he needs to get it, or maybe stop someone from getting it. But it's J.J. Abrams, so it's like, it's up to the viewer to decide what the rabbit means to him or her. Um, which is just, you know, I mean, we all saw the ending of Lost, like, don't, no forgiveness. Don't, like, don't even. We'll never forget. <laughs> uh, definitively, it was Purgatory, right? No. I believe I'm still waiting for my $5 app. I gave you $5 on this. <laughs> okay. Where is it now? <laughs> you probably spent yeah. it. <laughs> Okay. Highly unlikely. I think, yeah, framed it. Framed it on his wall. Tom was right. Okay, I think- I we, was right. We need more context behind this scene because we're doing a half-assed job of explaining it. We're just talking about skanks. We're getting distracted with this. So first off, this is the, the heist- The court would like to hear more about the skanks. <laughs> How much skin did we see? There's a lot, but- So this hot piece of A <laughs> rips up in a Lambo and Pope- Pope Francis is like, I'd like a piece of that. And he high fives the cardinal next to him. Um, anyway, Adam, continue. Fucking gnarly. Yes, this is the heist scene of the movie where you get to see Tom Cruise and his team go rogue away from IMF because they're trying to capture Philip Seymour Hoffman because they realize that he is potentially one of the drug dealers, one of the leaders that may have been associated with Carrie Fisher's death or Carrie Russell's death. So they go over to Italy and they have to infiltrate the Vatican. So in order to do this, they actually have multiple ways of getting in. So you have Luther going through the sewer system. You have the woman, Maggie Q's character. She's entering through the main door dressed up. So she's like an elitist going into this party. This party is the only time that Philip, Se Philip Seymour Hoffman is going to be available to the public. Uh, so this is their one shot of capturing him. Uh, you have the other, I can't remember his name, the driver basically he's distracting blocking off the road so tom cruise can actually go over the wall scale it down and then enter as a priest disguised as a priest so we're seeing multiple parts of multiple steps of this heist play out and they do it so smoothly because this is an experienced team you have them going back and forth having conversations about tom cruise and his fiance uh, the married life etc while they're doing this mission something that would be high stress scary to most people if they're thinking about doing some type of scenario like this but for them it's just a breeze they go in they're able to infiltrate the, the vatican and then this is where i think mission impossible 3 does an excellent job where they actually show you how things work we never got this with the previous movies so matt just skipped over the masks but this is important we actually get to see how these masks are created 
So you have Maggie Q's character walking around Philip Seymour Hoffman, taking photos, taking a full 3D capture of his head that's being sent over to a 3D printer, and then they start generating what this mask will look like. We also have a voice modulator, so they can pretend or impersonate Philip Seymour Hoffman. So he's reading off a cue card. Again, like this attention to detail is what makes the movie. This adds to the layer. This adds to the action. And I think you have to pay respects to that because... The previous movies, they just skipped over it. Everything was just magic. They're just like, oh, I just need a gun. I've got my gun. Or, you know, my watch could do this and allow me to jump 30 feet, whatever it may have been. But they're taking the time to explain it for the audience because you were curious before, but it was a question you never asked. And now you have an answer to it. And you're just like, actually, that's really interesting. So I don't think the director is calling the audience stupid. It's just giving them a lot more this time around. So I, I have to say you have to pay respects to that. Okay, so how does the, the gum that you stick together and explode work then? <laughs> I thought we explained this. We had like a huge conversation did, about this did, one. Didn't we explain this? I don't know. It already touches. Both sides already touch. <laughs> I'm not getting into that. We're, uh, we're only focusing uh, on Mission Impossible 3 right now. All I could think about with this scene is like how, how many – you think Ving Rhames just carries around a bag full of eyebrows everywhere he goes <laughs> or any mask that he might <laughs> I need to make it any but this, point yeah and this is where i think just like a bunch of wigs and loose false teeth <laughs> and it's, it's a weird it's yeah. nasty but i think like they're so experienced they've done the research they know what they should be bringing what's like the necessity or like what's required for this mission in order to move forward and that's what they did they just went for it so they actually do capture philip seymour hoffman in the bathroom tom cruise gets him to read the the caption so they have the voice modulator working there's a high tension scene where the bodyguard comes in but it's not loading Anywho, they escape with Philip Seymour Hoffman and we get the scene of, I guess, like, how do we even describe this? Them on the plane, like a high tension scene where Tom Cruise basically wants answers and Philip Seymour Hoffman is not giving it to him. So we have a villain unlike any other villain in the Mission Impossible movies. Mission Impossible 2, that really wasn't a villain. That was a very copycat, Tom Cruise-esque kind of approach. But here we have Philip Seymour Hoffman stand on his own, where this man really can't be bargained. He has so much power, so much influence already that Tom Cruise can't get under his skin. And even when they're flying away and Tom Cruise opens up the, the base of the, the plane and has Philip Seymour Hoffman hanging over, he doesn't budge. So this is actually terrifying in the sense because you have this villain that's not compromising. He's not willing to give up. And he is now, he has his focus strictly on Ethan Hunt. And this is a threat. Tensions raise again. So I think they did an amazing job with the heist and they set up this uh, villain brilliantly. And then in the next scene, they lose him. They go through all of this <laughs> and he escapes. That just shows you life, Matt. That's just showing you life. It's all <laughs> anything can happen. Do all that hard work and it just shits all over you, Matt. It's life. I love how you do these full explanations, trying to draw it out, trying to get people involved, and then you flip it with one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> That's the magic of Mission Impossible 3. Like, they do all this stuff only to completely fuck it up with one dumbass scene, like, seconds later. Yeah, so this, so, but, like, this is a good point because they didn't understand the threat that they were dealing with. They thought they succeeded, and once they get back into the U.S., they're instantly bombarded with agents. We don't know who these soldiers are, and they're here to capture or recapture or take away Philip Seymour Hoffman. And again... Uh, Tom rescue. Cruise, Luther. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> rescue him. Uh, Tom Cruise and Luther. <laughs> Take him away. Take him away. Yeah. 
they they're unprepared. They they were not prepared for this context because they didn't know the threat that they were dealing with. And the whole bridge scene with the drones flying over, the soldiers coming in, the high intensity because you know that IMF agents are there. They don't want any casualties. They don't want civilians to be involved with this. And that's the target of this scenario in order to rescue Philip Seymour Hoffman. So they're doing their job trying to protect them while also trying to capture or recapture Philip Seymour Hoffman. You got an amazing scene with Tom Cruise using a really big gun. I don't know what the gun's called. Judge, I'm sure you know the model off by heart. Yeah, I do. Oh. I know exactly what it is. Okay, cool. But Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> anyway, so he's trying to shoot down this helicopter that's fleeing away. If you don't and... remember what the name of this gun is called, I'm turning this car around. <laughs> I don't. Was it a bazooka? <laughs> it's a real big, a... big, big rifle. This shoots real big bullets, I guess. No, it's a G36C, you fucking... <laughs> All right, please continue. <laughs> Thanks, Judge, <laughs> for not being so biased. But the, the realization, even though Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, escapes and gets away, he's already threatened that he's going to go after Ethan Hunt's family. He's going to go after anyone that he's loved, and he delivers with that promise immediately. So he goes right after Ethan Hunt's wife, and that's where Tom Cruise has to flee the scene, flee the bridge explosion to try and get back to his wife to save her. This is where the flip happens. The agency understands that Tom Cruise is not unhinged, but he's playing by his own rules, so they have to capture Don't use him. that word. That's that's oh, a different movie. Oh, you can't you think you can't just you say that of Russell Crowe? It can happen to anyone. It could happen to anyone. So anyway, t Ethan Hunt tries to hide in this attic, but his stupid mom like totally gives away his hiding space, and then Philip Seymour Hoffman comes in, drags Tom Cruise out, and then uh, his wife gets kidnapped or something. Yeah. yeah. If only he played more Fortnite. I, I think none of this would happen. <laughs> so so let's let's sum up. Yeah. They went to the Vatican. They accomplished their objective. They went to a bridge. Some things blew up. They lost the guy. Yeah, that's pretty yep. much it. That took that took five minutes of film, or was that seven hours? <laughs> that's a solid like forty-five minutes or so. Okay, okay, that's a strike against the movie. We gotta we <laughs> gotta respond to, to some of this because it it's at this point with as with all of these dumbass spy movies that all credulity of any of this ever happening in the real world is is gone for me, which is why I hate watching spy movies because it's like there is some pseudo government organization we're not really clear on how imf is connected to the government they're loosely connected but they're definitely not a government organization what? just murdering are. american citizens just lawrence firing makes that comment rockets earlier dylan hold on hold on he makes i have to go talk to the president directly he talks about that he's directly underneath the president what yeah but the my pillow guy can talk <laughs> to the president so that might not mean anything <laughs> It, it clearly state it clearly establishes that they're directly directly underneath the government, underneath the president. So they are a direct. Who is IMF? IMF. They make that establishment. Okay, fine. So what? Fine. They're government agency. They're still mowing down American citizens on this bridge. No, no, no. That's not uh, IMF. No, no. That's a different agency. That's a shadow. That's a shadow group that's involved with Philip Seymour Hoffman. That could be. I'd also like to terrorists, Dylan. Those are terrorists. But what's the difference between that and what IMF is doing? I would also, at this point, like to. As a sidebar, I remind everyone that IMF stands for Impossible Mission Force. Yes, that is, is correct. <laughs> that's the name of your government organization. Yeah, yeah. They might have regretted I, that. I, one. I don't. I agree. Their their name is pretty stupid, but they are still a government organization. Yeah, and I just explained it's, that. Yeah, so IMF agents they try to make sure that they don't have any casualties. So even yeah. when they're in the Vatican, how many casualties dies there in order for them to get Philip Seymour Hoffman? 
None. They did their job successfully. This, the, the soldiers that are coming in that are recapturing or capturing Philip Seymour Hoffman away from IMF, those are terrorists. Those are a different group. That's not IMF agent. Yeah. They don't care about anyone as long as they get their mission done. Well, maybe you should have made that clearer in the notes. The only IMF agent- We can't know that they're nihilists. That is connected. The I... <laughs> only IMF agent that's connected to the terrorist is, uh, what's his name? Billy. Billy C. Billy, Billy. up. Billy. Goddamn Billy. He's the only IMF agent that's bad. In this movie. In this movie. In this movie. <laughs> that's the only movie we're talking about, Matt. Only movie we're talking okay, about. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, so then- Okay, but at this point, at this point, Ethan Hunt is also wanted by the IMF as a rogue agent. Right. Yeah, because they uh, yeah. Did, because they had no idea about this Vatican this Vatican mission of theirs, where they were blowing up you know bits of thousands and thousands of year old architecture, <laughs> priceless that will never be replaced. That's just gone forever. The sewer grate. The sewer grate. The walls in the Vatican. They're like in this thing with all these statues. They blew up the cobblestones with the Ferrari. Better than people. Just with no better than people exploding. Any, yeah. That's that's all I'm gonna say. But yes, yes. So Tom Cruise. Technically a rogue agent at this point. IMF takes him in. Billy C helps him escape and says that like your wife, like you have to go to China, Shanghai in order to get to this lab to grab the rabbit's foot. That's what Philip Seymour Hoffman is after. And that's how you can negotiate to get your wife back. So that can okay. lead us into scene three. And I know Walker's got some. Oh boy, I got some. Half-ass physics for us there's, to explain there's, the Shanghai swing. I'm going full ass on this one. So... <laughs> Before we before we jump into the Shanghai swing, there let's just do a. Uh, no, no a I, want, I want Matt to here. clarify what full ass is. I'm, it's it's <laughs> more than half assed. Yeah, that's it's double yeah. assed. Fifty percent more. Double half assed. Fifty percent yeah, more. It is two assed. Oh, perfect. Thank you. That's all I wanted. Yes. Okay, judge, and I think uh, I was gonna yell it at Adam for a bit, but I think I've made my yeah. point. Tell me, tell me about this swing. Okay, we've we've got plenty of time to yell at Adam for the rest of this episode. So. <laughs> So the, the setup here is that they go to China and he has to catch the MacGuffin. He has to get the rabbit's foot. And of course, it's in some skyscraper in a lab that's really heavily guarded or tough to get into. So they're sitting like across the street or across the river from this building or whatever. And Tom Cruise goes all beautiful mind on us. And he draws out a diagram of the buildings that he has to get into on the window of the place that they're in and then he starts drawing like free body diagrams and doing mechanics equations about like oh yeah if i put the fulcrum here and i could squeeze and then it's the most ridiculous absurd scene that defies physics every scene in this movie defies physics and i know that because i calculated it right here the movie tells you <laughs> how tall all of the explicitly like it's like they're asking me to do this they drew out they say how tall all the buildings are how far away they are Let's let's forget for a second that Tom Cruise is ignoring parallax here, that his perspective might does has nothing to do with the the, the dimension that he's seeing the buildings in. So they could be. And, uh, and I want to mention, and I want to say they didn't even mention the Snorlax either. <laughs> it's ridiculous. He's just talking about Lord Zenu all the time, and he doesn't mention anything else of importance. <laughs> so I so the anyway parallax go on. So the premise of this thing is that he's gonna start from a building that's next to the building he's trying to get into, and he's gonna essentially swing like a pendulum from one building to the next. He's gonna jump off one and swing and land on the roof of the next building. And they give you all these details, and I plotted it out. This is just conservation of energy, my guys. And essentially, for this, in order for this to work, he has Tom Cruise has to be able to run 
60 kilometers an hour in order to get enough momentum to essentially latch onto the 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 trajectory of the fulcrum at a high enough point and have enough energy to get across the thing but of course it works because it's a movie and like this is ignoring the fact that if he jumps off the building and he's attached with a wire to the building he's just gonna swing right into the building he just jumped right off of anyway so this thing is just nonsense garbage this is another example of this movie thinks so little of its audience that it's just gonna go oh yeah sure great that's cool Swings into the building. It's just and, like a folk. <laughs> yep. And that, kids, is what you can do with math after high school. I, I found a website that he did all the calculations, and he says it is possible. Dave, I saw that. I saw that. I saw that website, website. And he did his calculations wrong. <laughs> how he does? He does. Okay, so let's let's not get into the let's, how. I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust that the prosecution has done the math and done the math correctly. Perhaps you might even say doing it and doing it and doing it well. <laughs> now, defense. Do you have anything to say about the fulcrum? I think it's fine. <laughs> so, the wind was behind his back, and it pushed him over. Uh, the wind. I have to. I'm seeing a lot of uh, stuff coming out of the defense being like, the wind did it, or he did the calculations in his head. So, but there doesn't seem to be any evidence for this. Your honor. I got to hand it to the prosecution. They brought their A-game. They actually have evidence. He held up a piece of paper. What do you guys have? <laughs> if this were Judge Judy, this case would be closed at that point. Paper? You oh, kidding yeah. me, man? <laughs> yeah. Math? Holy. Look at these free I think his diagrams. calculations are wrong. Look at this penmanship. We are on a podcast, Matt. <laughs> I cannot see your calculations. <laughs> but they are there. Let the record uh, show. Yeah. They are nice is it, calculations. Is it really hard to imagine someone on a building that's 100 meters taller can make a fulcrum jump to a meet that uh, building? 64, Dave. What? The one building is 226 meters. The other Dave. target building is 162 meters. No one wants... No one wants that's 100 meters more? No one wants... <laughs> no, we're going to get to the bottom of this. Don't you interrupt him, Adam. But still... Either way, it's still a plausible thing. Okay. Matt is telling you that it's not. It's not. It's nonsense. He would have just swung right into the building that he jumped off of. In he has no proof. <laughs> this is now the crux of the argument. Adam, Dylan, take a step back. We've got to let these two titans battle it out. This is his Mission Possible 3 a good movie or not is coming down <laughs> to this mathematical <laughs> equation. Turns out, turns out that mission was impossible. Okay, so that's only one very small part that's of just, the scene. Because this scene is like we, we even haven't We haven't discussed any of the other completely incredulous spy, dumb spy tech bullshit that happened to this other movie. There are vascular IDs. There's <laughs> yeah, okay. like this ultrasound spectrometer thing where he sees the little bomb in Carrie Russell's head before her brain blows up. Anyway, there's just, it's no end to this. This movie. The voice it. modulator where they have him record literally like three sentences and then they produce how he would pronounce every other word in the English language. Exactly. I'm fine with that one, I think. I think I'm fine with that one. The, the vascular ID, not so much. But, but so what I have to say is at least they're trying to do, like they have some form of due diligence where they're saying, yes, this is a new form of Ethan Hunt. Am I too, Ethan Hunt? He would have just winged it. He would have probably jumped from the one building without the fulcrum and just see, just to see if he could leap the distance between two buildings. <laughs> this time we have a lot more I think, suave, calculated. I think, that ha I think that happened in Mission Impossible 7. He probably, probably did. He did like a front flip into it. But now we have a calculated Ethan Hunt, right? Like he's 
I, I honestly think that the MIF agents might have to be like at a genius level in order to operate where they have to take in so much information in order to do this job and to adapt to it. And that's what we're seeing right here. He's been put in a new scenario that he has to figure out within 30 minutes or something. There is a countdown at this point of him having to call Philip Seymour Hoffman. So they're scrambling to put this together. So yes, the math might be wrong, but the state that Ethan Hunt's character is at this point I think that's a fair representation. He's not thinking clearly about this. He's not caring if it's a life or death scenario. He just needs to do this in order to get the rabbit's foot in order to save his wife. He's willing to do whatever it takes. Besides the swing though, once he actually does get out, he parachutes down to the street level where he gets caught up and there's a huge kerfuffle with all the cars. There's a stunt that I think we like missed over uh, when we first like originally watched this. And after second viewing, I think it's actually pretty amazing that they did this. Once Ethan, once Tom Cruise's character grabs the, the rabbit's foot on the road, he's almost hit by a car and you can see like his hand, like he puts up his hand and the car just like comes right at him. It stops maybe within like five, five inches of him. Uh, so it's a pretty impressive stunt. So what I would like to say is Mission Impossible 3, it's not relying on one big stunt this time around, which you're going to see in the future movies. This time they're actually putting smaller stunts together and they're having a higher impact with it because they're putting more weight of the scenario where he has to do this in order to get his wife back. Uh, there's a lot more tension. Objection, more your honor. Objection. Adam mentioned future movies to prove a point. <laughs> First time. Violating his own rules. First time. We're like an hour into this Overruled. podcast. I'm doing good. <laughs> is waterboarding is waterboarding totally off the table or what's the deal with waterboarding? Waterboarding is on the table if this kind of shenanigans continue. Uh, the court would also like to ask Adam, uh, how does any of the words you just said uh, impact the math? <laughs> I thought you said that this was a realistic movie. I said it's grounded and I put realistic in quotations. You can check... You can go back and listen to the recording. Did you say quote? I covered this is a podcast. Adam. I did. I did. I <laughs> covered insane. myself in this one because I knew you guys were going to come back at this. <laughs> Your Honor, I would like to highlight the the court will show that Adam has covered himself. I would like to highlight the lack of paper that Adam has brought to this trial, um, making his, his arguments much weaker. Yeah, I got. I got. I got. Oh, to scramble. In, incredibly weak in comparison. At no point did he even attempt to just hold up a piece of paper saying Mission Impossible 3 is good. That would have worked for me. <laughs> That's the bar. <laughs> now look, none of that is important. What is important is that after they do the swing and they get the rabbit's foot, uh, then what happens? Yeah. We are basically caught up. No, not you! <laughs> Someone else! Okay, okay. What okay. was the question? I wasn't listening. <laughs> this so this after is the, the team swing, that's going to win. <laughs> <laughs> After the swing and after the rabbit's foot, then what happens? So he catches the rabbit's oh, foot. Oh, I forget. And then, and then their move is that they're going to put a tracker on the rabbit's foot and then meet up with Philip Seymour Hoffman and give it to him. And that way they will be able to track him in his organization and then catch him again later. So the idea... Right. And so we should clarify the rabbit's foot is a, it's a briefcase. Uh, it's a chemical weapon. It's... It's it's in a briefcase. It's, it's some MacGuffin thing that they were too it, lazy to even bother making up a... At least in the second. Hey, Adam, how, when do you figure out it's a chemical weapon? During the Shanghai swing, uh, they actually have blueprints of what the rabbit's foot is, like the canister that they have to retrieve. So it, they do say it's a chemical oh, weapon. Hey, Adam, what is red matter and how does it cause singularities? <laughs> Not talking holes? about that movie. 
Oh, okay, okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, this will be this will be a little more close to home. Uh, what was the smoke monster <laughs> in Lost? Do you remember? <laughs> We're not talking about Lost. <laughs> I know, but oh, anyway, okay. Oh, um, okay. Your Honor, they never explained Walt's powers, so this movie is bad. <laughs> oh yeah, right. So at this point, now- why did that bird start screaming Hurley? Did did we ever cover that one? <laughs> I don't think so, actually. I don't think, yeah, I don't think we understood the Hurley bird. So the rabbit's foot is nothing. The rabbit. We could, we could safely the say The rabbit's that. foot is basically a MacGuffin. They do acknowledge it, saying that it's a chemical weapon at one point, but that's glossed over. Just treat it as a MacGuffin, something the bad guy wants at this point. Fine with that. A lot of movies do that. Carry on that. Okay, okay. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you. So then now we get to the point. So he basically turns himself in, like kind of like a, like a ruse for Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. So fa- now we finally catch up with the first quasi scene that we see in the movie where Tom Cruise and his wife, fiance, I don't know, doesn't matter. She's she's there captured and Philip Seymour Hoffman wants to know where the rabbit's foot is. And now that I'm saying this out loud, I actually don't remember how they got to this. Like, didn't he give it to him? No. He said he gave it. Billy stole it. I don't. Okay, whatever. So we finally caught up with the very start of the movie. This is like an hour and a half later. And the rest of the movie kind of is, is pretty boring, to be honest. I don't actually remember. There's a, He gets in a fist fight with Philip Seymour Hoffman. And then there's the rabbit's this foot's the- like rolling around the street. And then. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? It doesn't fizzle out. You get, okay, so you get Billy C revealing that, yes, he is a double agent. Shocker. Spoilers. Everyone saw this coming. But we then get Ethan Hunt basically running through China, trying to find his wife. He's calling IMF. He gets Simon Pegg on the phone. This is the first movie that Simon Pegg is actually in uh, for Mission Impossible. And then he cares. All of China? He runs through all of China? He's running around China. Even Wuhan? If you're going to start talking about how this movie is grounded and realistic, then I want to hear grounded and realistic terms. I don't. Narrow it down to streets of Shanghai. Don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining. (laughs) So this is where, like... Like Matt was saying, they do have the tracker on the rabbit's foot. So Benji, Simon Pegg, is tracking that. He's relaying the information to Tom Cruise so he knows exactly where he's going in China. I don't know the street. I don't know the location. But Tom Cruise is now full sprint. They do a beautiful scene where they had like a a crane operate. Didn't you tell me it was Shanghai already? Don't you know this? I'm getting caught up. I'm losing some details. It's been months since we've watched this. I'm doing a pretty good job in comparison to everybody else right now, okay? Whoa. <laughs> the court will acknowledge that Adam thinks so little of his fellow defensemen and prosecutors. That's the point. <laughs> We're arguing. I'm trying to make sure we win this case. I got to put him down. You're doing a great job. Don't let him bully Thanks, you, Adam. teammate. <laughs> so we have Tom Cruise running through the streets. Uh, they do a really impressive shot where they do have uh, one of the cameras on a crane that's following him and he's doing like a hundred meter sprint. I think this is the first movie that acknowledges Tom Cruise running at like that speed and they carry it over. I just want to, I just want to add that Tom Cruise runs like a boss. Like it's, yeah. he runs yeah, like this, a boss. Would you say that he runs at 60 kilometers per hour like a boss? Okay, from Steven Seagal to uh, Usain Bolt. <laughs> it's closer. Yeah. <laughs> closer yeah. to Usain Bolt. But like, Okay, so uh, taking it out of the movie, Tom Cruise was 44 
when uh, Mission Impossible 3 came out. Yeah, in human years. Yeah, I've never se- <laughs> I've never seen like a 44-year-old run that quickly or is in that shape. So Tom Cruise... Have you ever seen a 44-year-old with braces either? <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe, I don't know. Actually, yes, yes, I have. Is that, a, is that against but, the movie? No, so, okay. And Fargo doesn't count. Okay, so what I'm getting at is Tom Cruise went all out for this. They treated this as the last movie that they were going to do because typically uh, movies during that era just did a trilogy. We didn't see them extending beyond that. So this was their final go and everyone... Give examples or that's not a true statement. Uh, Didn't we have The Matrix? We had Lord of the Rings at the same time too, right? So Lord of the Rings was a trilogy in the 1970s. (laughs) The Fast and Furious series was at three at this point. Uh, They didn't know they were going to extend it out. But anyway, so this is what I'm saying. Everyone went all out with this. You see no one is half-assing it. They they went all in. They're whole-assing it. They're whole-assing it and full-assing it. And Tom Cruise is really delivering with this. He has a lot of intensity of trying to get to his wife. And then we find out that he was injected with the same brain bomb that's been detonated once he does find where his wife is. He got the brain bomb. (laughs) Forgot about it. And he has to defeat Philip Seymour Hoffman while this bomb is about to go off. He does so. It's the fight is actually pretty good just because you have Tom Cruise not at his like not at 100 percent. He is at a handicap at this point because raging headache bombs about to blow off, but he's still driven to get to his wife. So the battle goes, it flips on his favor and it doesn't end there. Typically, a movie would have just stopped it right there. Bad guys defeated. No, we're still in a high stakes scenario where he has to get this bomb out of his head. And the best way that he can do this is basically electrocuting himself. His wife is a nurse, so he's hoping that she can bring him back. Does he use some some of this uh, really great calculations you've been describing to uh, <laughs> figure out that that would work? He does. Uh, maybe. How does he determine the correct voltage? voltage? Average? Yeah. Uh, I. He tastes the current. Yeah, this in the is, air. or this does is... he bite down on a toaster cables and tell his wife to turn the power on? This is this is a uh, MI two Ethan Hunt coming to play. Where he's just gonna wing it at this point. <laughs> so well, it's either he tries this or he dies. Ethan, I really don't want to do this. It's <laughs> wife. Ethan, he's please. Left with no I don't want right? to do this. I don't want to do this, honey. I've calculated out to the exact jewel. It will be fine. I swear so I will switch. It's I swear to I will fry my frontal like... globe. When I will be totally fine. My executive decision making will be totally intact. <laughs> totally cool. No damage whatsoever. Anyway, treat it as you want. The scene's still the scene's still great. <laughs> it's whatever. <laughs> I, no, I Fuck recognize it. it. I recognize it, right? And again, that's why I said realistic in quotations. But again, they tried. They they tried something new. And I think that scene of handing it over to his wife, Michelle Monahan, in the she did a great job. Uh, where she actually has to take down a couple agents because they're coming at her while Ethan Hunt is passed out on the floor before she can revive him. So again, it's they're they're almost flipping it. Rather than like a cannon clock, you have to like bring back your dead husband. So now that focus is on her, the stakes are still really high, and the stakes continue for that scene for like twenty minutes. So I think they concluded they concluded the action for Mission Impossible Three in a very great way. I don't feel like I was cheated in any sense of oh they just blew up the bad guy or a blue beam shot up in the sky and they have to end that and then they can go home no it's 
there's consequences with this. There's extra steps that they still have to follow. You don't think they... Uh... So what was the consequence of uh, the complete lack of blood flow to his brain for like five minutes when he was lying on the ground unconscious? <laughs> I don't think it was Was he minutes. severely mentally handicapped after? Or I think it was about did they just give him seconds. some adrenaline? He's like, I'm fucking good to go. <laughs> but, but even... So like just ignoring how long he was passed out for, once he does come to, uh, you see... You just ignore it. You're pointing it out. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna yeah, to ignore it. I'm going to choose to ignore this one. Whoa, 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 no, no, no. Look at that. How long was he... Actually, out for give me exact time there, please. Uh, at least enough Three time for her to kill forty two, seconds. Two agents, yeah. How fast can you kill two agents? Click, click. About ten <laughs> seconds. I think he was out for about thirty seconds. If that. she was crawling around and hiding and stuff, it wasn't just click, click. It was she shot one and it then was she crawled basically around. Click, click. Not all of us are able to just take lives <laughs> yeah. as easily as you. Click, click. <laughs> it's not like that. He zapped himself. She fell against the post. Grabbed a pistol. Went around the side, shot both of them, and then went right Okay, well then, he also just exploded a little electronic bomb in his brain by biting down on electrical cords. So that that already sets up his brain for some... Didn't explode it. Just <laughs> took out the electrical. Just fizzled out the, the circuit board. No yeah, damage. Also, to the brain. he did it with his hands. Like he was like the brain the uses electricity. Yeah. Right? <laughs> he did it with his hands. He put the is popsicle. Is it safe stick. to be unconscious? I don't think it is. I don't think you're supposed to be unconscious by like receiving massive jolts of electricity into your brain. I don't think that's healthy. Probably not. We can't move on until you acknowledge how unhealthy that is. You hear it here, folks. I I did. I said yes. This is. A bit not you, Dave. <laughs> well, I think we're learning a lot about Dave during this conversation with the click click. He's quick to murder, and it's so easy for him. He's quick to murder. He's just he's just all about love. I mean, I've been playing I've been playing too much Hitman Three right now, so I expect sorry. nothing less from the inventor of tolerant. Revenge. Yeah, it's so easy. You just run in there and click click. You solved all your problems. That's the only downfall to this movie. There's no tolerant revenge. There's only basic revenge. <laughs> Isn't Philip Seymour Hoffman exactly tolerant revenge? Because he's like, oh, you fucked up my dinner at the Vatican. I'm going to ruin your whole life. That's pretty tolerant, I think. Yep. Anyway, no. I want to end this scene oh. with uh, just acknowledging. So once Tom Cruise does come back, when he's, once he's revived, how quickly he goes into almost like defense mode. So you can see how ingrained his training is in him rather than being shocked or just like what the hell's going on he already has like the gun up ready to protect his wife so i thought that was very interesting i thought that was a different approach we then different to huh? what <laughs> we then conclude the movie being shocked awake <laughs> different to what i've got nothing i've got nothing right now <laughs> all i'm saying is this entire time we've been defending the shit out of this movie matt and dylan has come back with like one or two blips or oh, maybe a fulcrum didn't work. Oh, no. Or oh, maybe he was passed out for more than 30 seconds. They don't know. What do you they mean? I watched the movie. It was more than 30 about seconds. About the skank. The entire, the entire thing is just, just... They have no answer for it. They're just guessing it's, at this point. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. So, the movie ends. The credits roll. Before I deliver my final verdict, we will now hear closing statements from the defense and prosecution. Defense, uh, the floor is yours. <laughs> Thank you, Your Honor. I'll go ahead. Um, oh, and with good. my Excellent. first Thank move, you. I'm allowed the defense to give their closing statements. <laughs> Another, I'm, mm, very I'm actually going to take this very upon noble. myself and let Dylan and Matt go first. Oh, counter noble. Interesting. Yes, but that was always part of my plan because I knew he would he would be forced by by uh, the law of guest rights to give 
the closing statement back to me, which makes me the one in the power position. Are you the writer of every Mission Impossible <laughs> movie ever? <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. And on the next Mission Impossible, two MI or Mission Impossible Force agents backstab each other, but they realize they're actually backstabbing a third MIF agent. Anyway, um, closing <laughs> statements. <laughs> Brain bombs. Uh, skanks in the Vatican, blowing up Lamborghinis, having your wife electrocute you to death, Mission Impossible. There was only one way this trilogy could come to an end, and that was probably something like this. So we got what we deserved, which was just a steady decline of cinema, kind of a microcosm for the whole industry, from what was originally an okay idea for some to just utter garbage. To think that this is like a step up from two is 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 not saying much because two is just the absolute bottom of the barrel. But <laughs> um, it is a step up, but a step up from the pits of hell is still at best purgatory, which is definitely where the island was located. Um, so if you if you're not totally clear on the reality, it's the smoke monster is the devil. Anyway, I rest my case. Oh, okay. Excellently argued. Uh, defense. Uh, yeah. Uh, take yeah. it away. We will, we will talk what about Lost after this. <laughs> can I, this is... <laughs> but, can I just okay. have the court note that, like, the defense, Dave just has his head in his hands right now. <laughs> he just despondent. You know why? Why? Because your arguments were nowhere to be found in this episode. This movie was so well defended by me and Adam. Most by Adam. <laughs> but, like, this movie gave you everything. You get more rounded Ethan Hunt. You get the action scenes. You get the spy scenes. You're on the edge of your seat for most of the movie. And then you get the beautiful ending and the nice, uh, where Ethan and his wife are reunited and love is blossomed. <laughs> it's beautiful. Beautiful movie. Yeah, okay, beautiful. love doctor. Yeah, okay. We know how you feel about love and relationships. Yeah, when does he flip stuff. her over and this, turn her upside this... down? And stuff? <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's, that's after credit scenes. You missed it. I think you called it doing doing the fun dip or something. You called it. <laughs> That's another. To add move. to Dave's closing statement, I'll teach you that. I'll teach you that one later. <laughs> to add to Dave's closing statement, I think if if the Mission Impossible series was to end at this point, they're ending on a high note. If this was to be a trilogy that was concluded, I think they did an amazing job with ending it here. We did have character growth for Ethan Hunt. We saw him evolve over the time. We saw his character change and grow and develop. We see a happy ending for this character. Typically, you would not see this for someone that's involved with such a dangerous profession. Uh, we see the threats expand and continue to grow in this world for Mission Impossible. I think handing it over to J.J. Abrams with his unique style, his pacing, allowing for the action to just continue to keep the, the viewer involved and continue to ask questions all the way throughout the movie was a good play. Uh, and yeah, I think Mission Impossible 3 ended the series on a high note. Thank you. You're welcome. So Now, can we have an unbiased decision? I have been nothing but unbiased <laughs> this entire time. Now, we've, we've seen a lot of Mission Impossible. Uh, we've seen the gum. We've seen the motorbikes. We've seen the house parties. We've all seen that. We know about these things. And really, the question is here, is Mission Impossible 3 a good movie? And I think that the arguments presented by the defense clearly show that, no, it is not a good movie. And I think that the prosecution did bring in some actual physical evidence, some hard numbers, if you will. Paper. You can't even read his writing. It's so chicken scratch. Perhaps even they did 
the math. And in doing the math, they have convinced me that this is not a good movie. All signs point to this being a film that is not worth your time, just like the last two Mission Impossibles. <laughs> and yet, we have seen every single one of them. So, I would like to talk about the two gnarliest deaths <laughs> in the entire Mission Impossible franchise to date. Number one, right out of the gate, when What's-His-Face, Emilio, gets elevated right into the yeah. top, fucking gnarly. It was pretty gnarly. Yeah, it was pretty cool. That was. That actually gave me, like, nightmares as a kid. It's, it's fucking yeah. gnarly. And number two, brain bombs. Yeah. It's fucking yeah. gnarly. Hey, let's not forget John Voight getting folded in half. <laughs> yeah. That's true. We, we shouldn't forget that. There are three fucking gnarly deaths in this franchise. And, you know, that's, uh, that's not enough. Anyways, thanks, everybody. I really appreciate you coming out here today to, to listen to us talk about Mission Impossible. I, I think we've uh, definitively made all our points, and we can, you know, safely rule it as... Uh, Bad film. Not worth your time. Adam's nodding up and down like he agrees. He knows that it's a bad movie. He knows that he lost. Uh, he's, he's up and down. Yeah, he's saying, yes, this is good. This is what I I like. was going to congratulate you with actually closing the episode. <laughs> we finally did it. It's taken us like 20 episodes to get this down. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, um, that's our episode. Thanks, everybody. That is bullshit. And with that, the court is adjourned. Come back next time for a new trial with new litigants in the never-ending parade of schlock that is Grindhouse Courthouse. Motherfuckers.